on our school board, we have that. You know, I think there's there's people that just they don't want to fight, um, and so they're they try and play it very safe. And in playing it safe, they you know they're not able to stand up for for their constituents, and, and that's you know that's where we see a problem because there's not any diversity of thought or action on the school board where you know we really want somebody that would say you know what no i'm gonna i'm gonna fight on this i'm not gonna just bow and, and do whatever the the majority says here because they've got you know their special interest friends that are going to try and get me kicked off the school board which we've seen here but you know go out there and fight i think that right now with everything being so politicized and wokeism trying to infuse itself in everyday life telling children if they're born white they are born racist they're born with sin and oppression coursing through their veins and if you're born non-white you are born oppressed you're born a victim and you will live as a victim your entire life and any success you get in your life is despite of being a non-white uh you know person in this country uh this is what's being infused constantly so it is up to people to to get involved in their everyday life Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome to the Joe Mobley Show, my new live streaming show, guys. This is the very first episode. Yesterday's test episode, of course, didn't count for anything, uh, but today does count for something. Um, so we got a really good episode for you guys. We're meeting with Ian Pryor, the executive director of Fight for Schools, and we're meeting with Ryan James Gerdusky, uh, who's the founder of the 1776 Project PAC. Both of these organizations you need to know about they're, they're going to tell you about what they're doing, but honestly, just cutting straight down to it, Ian's PAC is getting runaway school board members removed through lawful petition, and Ryan's PAC is getting them replaced with good patriots who, you know, the basic requirements are you don't hate this country. Uh, so if that's you, then listen to what these guys have to say. Take action in your community and just mobilize and do some stuff. All right, so let's bring them on. Ian, Ryan, how are you guys? Great. Awesome. Uh, So I gave less than a 60-second spiel, uh, but Ian, let's start with you. Tell us about your pack. Tell us what you've got going on. You're kind of in in the hot seat in Loudoun County. Well, so Fight for Schools, we started it back in uh, well, officially we started in April, but it was really sort of dreamed up on the um, back deck of, uh, you know, one of the parents involved where we had, I think it was eight people. Um, we had Democrats, Republicans, and, you know, we just decided that the Loudoun County School Board just simply wasn't listening to parents anymore. They were ignoring them. They were mocking them. Uh, they were, you know, one of them declared war on parents in a, in a private text. And, and this was all on the heels of, you know, a private Facebook group that had six of these school board members where, you know, really a, a campaign to, you know, illegally target parents um, occurred. And that was sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, you had a lot of parents that have been going out there for close to a year um, trying to get them to, to reopen schools based on, you know, the fact that there was no evidence uh, for them to really keep them closed. And it really kind of united people that, you know, didn't necessarily know each other. And now, I mean, we're full, full bore ahead. We've got a great team. You know, I I call it the army of moms that are out there all day, every day, collecting petitions, um, signatures. You know, there are dads, too. Don't want to don't want to slight the dads. But we've been at this um, this for about seven weeks collecting signatures. And, you know, it's been it's been amazingly successful. 
um, you know, these are, these are folks that they're not getting paid. They're doing this on their free time. And, you know, it seems like every time uh, Loudoun County Public Schools has a school board meeting, they end up giving us more power to, uh, to go out there and, and get it done because they just can't seem to, to understand that they have to be accountable, they have to be transparent, and they have to follow the rules. And this is a, a school board and a superintendent that simply refuses to be governed by the, the laws and the rules um, that are important to protect transparency, accountability, and ensure that you know school boards are representative to, of their constituency, not just you know special interests and high-paid, taxpayer-funded consultants. Awesome, couldn't agree more. School board is, yeah, our school board here is, you know, but they're just nuts. But the thing is, they're not nuts just here. They're nuts all over the country. And uh, nobody knows that better than Ryan Gerdusky. Ryan, how are you? Tell us a bit about your pack and what you've got going on. Doing great, doing great. Um, the So I started a pack called the 1776 Project Pack. Um, I did it about five weeks ago. It's been, the outreach has been amazing. We've gotten donations for over 2,000 people. We raised over $150,000. And what our goal is, is to try and support candidates for school board elections by campaigning um campaigning not with them but for them, sending out mailers, radio ads, digital ads, um, to try to encourage really conservatives to get out there and vote in school board elections, which are very, very low turnout elections in this country. Um, And we're going to support candidates who oppose CRT, critical race theory, and um, try to get people who really have not necessarily not an activist perspective on education, but one that's very patriotic and one that promotes um, patriotism in education, especially public education. Awesome. So what do you guys think is the number one problem that we have in our schools? Um, is it the educators? Is it the administrators? Is it the school boards? Is it the curriculum? Is it something else? Uh, either one of you can take that one first. But what, what's the top thing uh, that's going on in our schools that that we've got to wake up to? Uh, you know, I think it's it's complicated because most of these educators and administrators have been, you know, through higher education, have been taught a lot of this, uh, you know, what we what we call critical race theory or however they want to describe it, pick a day and they can they can change their definition. Uh, but this has been in the in the system for, you know, 20 years. So, you know, when you have teachers going to, you know, get their master's or get their teaching degree, you have administrators going to college, you know, this stuff filters down through there. And then ultimately, these are the people that, you know, end up as superintendents or assistant superintendents. And then as far as the school board goes, you know, I think it's it's interesting. And, and I didn't realize this, and it's, it was naive of me and probably a lot of people, but you make the assumption that people who run for school board aren't necessarily political you know, in the ways that we would see in Washington, D.C. or in the state capitol. And that really their goal is to make sure that, you know, kids have an an excellent education, the best education they can get so that they can go on, move on to college and, and, you know, succeed in the world. Uh, When in reality, what we're seeing is, you know, I think a lot of people are using the the school board positions as as stepping stones and are, are really beholden to, you know, the base of their support and they lose focus of, of what their job is, which is to make sure that kids get a great education. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? What do you think? The- yeah, what Ian said was, Ian said was really, really smart. You know, it's not all teachers. There's a lot of great teachers who don't try to push critical race theory um, or, or, and they just want the benefit for the best for their children. I mean, we've seen over the course of several years in school shootings, how many teachers have sacrificed their own lives for kids. I mean, a lot of teachers really do care about the well-being of children. Um, there are a handful of activists though in the schools. Um, and the problem is the administrators oftentimes facilitate them and push them. And the, and what the school boards and the superintendents do is they create a curriculum not always necessarily that they're teaching critical race theory, but they're practicing critical race theory. So the idea that um, their systemic racism is real is kind of the ground floor, and everyone is forced to accept that. And then they build from those positions um, to try to create a curriculum that is really antithetical to creating a very uh, 
you know, to create pride in your country. I mean, you really come out of this hating the country you're from. <laughs> yeah, uh, it seems like that's that's kind of the point of school boards. And even we see this in Congress. There's some people who they didn't run on this, but their stance right now is we hate America. Uh, and it's it's not good for the country. It's not good for the communities. Uh, so here's a question uh, that I'm interested in. How do you think everything that's gone on that you guys outlined, uh, the problems with curriculum, the problem with, uh, Ryan, you had mentioned, you know, necessarily activist uh, members of school boards. It's it's fine to be politically inclined, but there there is some activism going on in the school board. Uh, how do you think that guy... How do you guys think that plays into this kind of assault on parental rights? Um, you know, Scott Pio is running for delegate here in Northern Virginia. Uh, he harps on this a lot. There's this assault, this usurpation on the rights of parents where uh, kids are going by different genders at school than they are at home. Um, we, we've got cases in Loudoun where kids will change gender based on the class that they're in. Um, we've got kids, you know, this this ties in with vaccines, this ties in um, with just their ability to do all kinds of stuff without their parents' consent, but also without their parents' knowledge. Um, how do you guys think that plays in? Well, you know, that's that's interesting because that, that story that I, I sent around today, the Fox News story, you look at the, the trainings done by the Equity Collaborative back in 2020, and I'm just going to read, you know, one of the slides that they showed. And so this is called Bridging the Culture's Framework. And on one, on one side, they have what's called white individualism. And on the other hand, they have uh, color group collectivism. Now, they have five points, and you can tell which way they're leading um, as far as, you know, what they think is, is better. <laughs> so number five. Uh, white individualism associated with egalitarian relationships and flexible roles. Teachers and parents are equals. Parents can teach academics at home. Parents are teachers are children's first teachers. Now, that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, now let's go to the color group collectivism, which they, they seem to think is, is a better approach. Associated with stable hierarchical ro roles. Teachers have a special role to teach academics and to inculcate morals. The teacher is the second mother. Parents' role is to socialize children and to respect teachers' authority. I mean, this is this is basically not even just co-parenting. They're saying teachers are in charge. You need to listen to the teachers. And as parents, your role is, you know, your role is not to uh, teach morals. That's my role, the teacher. And that is not how, you know, education should work. Yeah, uh, that I I didn't read the Fox story yet. I know you sent it to me, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. That's wild. Um, there's nothing wrong with respecting teachers, certainly if your child's misbehaving and the teacher's witness to it, but they're not the parent, and I think that they are substituting their own morals for uh, the will of the parents. And the problem is, is that, and where school boards really play into this, is that um, school boards have... Uh, created these types of equity programs, these types of gender programs, and infuse them in the schools, where even if a teacher is not inclined to, to support that or to promote that idea on their own, they have to sit there and abide by those uh, the guidelines created by both the school board and the superintendent who's hired by the school board. And that's why they come in, you know, that's why you could take a school with maybe one or two activist parents, activist teachers, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal um, had there not been an activist school board and and superintendent trying to push anti-racism or equity programs or gender programs within that school. Agreed. Uh, so, you know, there are three things that you guys watching, if you're watching this live, if you're watching the replay, there are three things that you can do wherever you are, no matter what. Uh, to kind of help out in this process. The first thing is you can like, share, and subscribe to the Joe Mobley Show, which is really easy. It's up on your screen right now. Just hit the like button. Just hit the subscribe button. Uh, but the other thing you can do is you can donate to these packs, all right? So this is fightforschools.com. This is Ian's pack that we talked about uh, there at the top of the show. Um, you can find out more about what they've got going on. You can you can uh, see kind of the petition events if you're here in Loudoun County and you haven't signed the petition, show up to one of those events. 
Um, even if you live in surrounding areas, Ian's always looking for volunteers. If you don't live in the surrounding area, then this is your button right here, this donate button. Uh, and after you visit this site and you donate here, come on, guys, it's America, the home of capitalism. You've got some coin to share. Head on over to 1776projecthack.com, uh, Ryan's group. Check out what they've got going on. And the thing that I love about this, now, Fight for Schools is a model um, Fight for Schools is a model that can be used throughout the country. Uh, 1776 Project Pack is already uh, throughout the country. You can kind of see the map there. But you can be the Ryan. You can be the Ian in your community. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You know, take that security blanket off of your head. There's no cavalry. <laughs> you guys got to get activated right where you are. Um, so uh, I got to give a shout out to Taylor, who's the host of an awesome podcast called Contrarix. Uh, but he's absolutely right. It's shown on the screen here. He's been telling people for a long time that school board elections are some of the most important elections. Uh, they are very consequential. Uh, he went on to say that it's a proving grounds for politicians. So how do we just, get... Can I just add that, uh, that school board elections usually have between 8 and 10% turnout in most school board elections. They are extremely wow. low. And several candidates that I've been vetting over the last week, I mean, I've looked at their past elections and these school boards, and they've gotten a 1,000 votes when it's a school board election. I mean, maybe you don't know a 1,000 people personally, but I'm sure you can wrangle a 1,000 people either through Facebook groups or through other organizations in your community. It's 1,000 people is not a lot of people, and that flips entire school board seats. And oftentimes they vote in, not in not every case, but in many cases, they vote in uh, groups. So you vote for three or four candidates or two or three candidates um, on a slate and you can flip, you know, entire majorities of school boards. And the, and the, ironically, the most important thing is I've, I've heard this story over and over and over again is that everyone, Ian, maybe he's heard this too, but there's always like, well, we have, you know, two conservatives and four liberals and then one guy or one woman who's just wishy-washy. And I think there are so many school board members who just don't wouldn't put up a fight on their own, but they would join us if we started winning these elections and they felt like their seats were up for grabs or they felt like they would be embarrassed by their neighbors. There are other ones that are on the school board who are not activists, but go along with activists because they go along with, you know, the, the most, the, the easiest path forward. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, on our school board, we have that, you know, I think there's, there's people that just, they don't want to fight. Um, and so they're, they try and play it very safe and in playing it safe, they, you know, they're not able to stand up for, for their constituents. And, and that's, you know, that's where we see a problem because there's not any diversity of thought or action on the school board where, you know, we really want somebody that would say, you know what, no, I'm going to, I'm going to fight on this. I'm not going to just bow and, and do whatever the, the majority says here because they've got, you know, they're special interest friends that are going to try and get me kicked off the school board, which we've seen here. But, you know, go out there and fight. You've, you've got a platform and, you know, it's it's important not to just sit there and, you know, go along with the crowd. Yeah, no, it's 100 percent. Sorry, Joe, what was your question about school boards? It was actually exactly what you guys were talking about. Uh, we, we harp on a lot. The man in the arena is the one who counts. Um, and I, I pointed out at a Glenn Youngkin uh, rally on Saturday. A lot of times these days, the man in the arena is a woman. Um, how do we get people? How do we get people to realize that political office is in reach for them? We're not talking about federal office. We're not talking about you just go out and try and become your state senator. But how do we encourage everyday people who can really be some of the best candidates to go out and run for state delegate, to go out and run for their local county board of supervisors or city council, but especially the school board? Uh, you know, I think it's it's a lot like what you're seeing here in Loudoun, right, where we're making this an issue. A lot of times people say, well, what's, a, what's your ultimate goal here? And I think the ultimate goal is to make sure that people engage in their local politics. Look, I didn't know who my school board member rep was, the names of people on the school board until March. Uh, I may have known maybe like one person's name or two people's name names, but I didn't know that the makeup of the school board and, and I'm, I've worked in politics, right? So if I don't know, then, you, you know, your average person that, that may not be political isn't going to know. So 
you know, bringing attention to what your school board is doing, what your school system is doing. Um, and certainly the pandemic, I, I think, created a situation where parents started to become more aware of, hey, you know, maybe I was a little naive in assuming that when I send my kids to those two doors, they're going to learn, you know, math, science, history, uh, and come out with an objective perspective so that when they're older, they can view things critically and, and be successful through their own mind, um, as opposed to being taught, you know, here's here's how you have to think. And, and that's really what we're seeing is that, you know, these, these half-baked theories that, you know, clearly people don't agree with um, beyond, beyond some on the left are really infecting our schools. And, you know, it's important for us, you know, all Americans to make an issue of that. But more important is, you know, not just those individual issues, but focusing on local elections, because that is the those are the things that actually impact you far more than anything that happens at the federal level. Yeah, I just won a, school, a city council election in New York City from one of my candidates. I didn't run, but I I, I work for a lot of campaigns, uh, and my local candidate won. He's probably, arguably, the most conservative member of the city council. He's a Democrat, but I mean, the Republicans last time I endorsed him because he's he's very conservative on most issues, um, and running for your what he does and how he operates on a daily basis matters so much more than what president trump did on my day-to-day life and that's i mean that's completely true and i think the way that the founders originally structured the government and and through the very beginning of this country was that your local government mattered a lot more and it's not always sexy it's not always like the most interesting thing in the world tree removals or your school board I mean, snow. What snow days are the this year? Those are not the most interesting topics to want to discuss, but they are oftentimes the most important to your everyday life. And I think that uh, I think that right now, with everything being so politicized and wokeism trying to infuse itself in everyday life, telling children if they're born white, they are born racist, they're born with sin and oppression coursing through their veins. And if you're born non-white, you are born oppressed. You're born a victim and you will live as a victim your entire life. And any success you get in your life is despite of being a non-white, you know, person in this country. Uh, This is what's being infused constantly. So it is up to people to to get involved in their everyday life. I just spoke to a group in New Jersey that are trying to find slates. Uh, New Jersey typically has 60 to 70 percent of their school board electors go without without an opponent. And this year, they're trying to find an opponent in every single school board election, and I'm hoping to help them. And I think that groups like that are very, very important within their states, or if not just their states, just their regions of their states. Ryan, you are my my interview lead guy. You're like you're <laughs> pitching my next questions. Uh, real quick, someone asked in the chat. My shirt says my AR-15 identifies as a stick. Um, actually, there is. <laughs> my AR-15 back here hiding out, uh, at least one of them. So hope the NSA is like, hey, if the NSA is listening, then that <laughs> means that I'm doing well. Uh, but yeah, you, you're leading into my next topic. I love it. Uh, oh, how am I missing the chance to self-promote? If you want this shirt, if you want my Joe Biden one star would not recommend, if you want my uncloseted conservative shirt or sweatshirt or hoodie, which is my bestseller, then go over to thejoemobleyshow.com slash shop and uh, get that. Uh, but anyway, CRT, it's the elephant in the room. It's literally where we were going to kind of kick it off to next. So Ian, I know you're familiar with this graphic. Mm-hmm. Um we're hearing that CRT is not in the schools. Well, this is this is a leaked document from Loudoun County Public Schools, of course, where one in Loudoun beyond uh, beyond them saying that it's not in the schools. Terry McAuliffe, who was the former governor of Virginia, who's running for governor again, says that CRT is a right wing conspiracy theory. Uh, well, here in Loudoun County. The government is paying $625. Now, this rate, of course, is an hourly rate. So $625,000 an hour to, quote, coaching to support or coaching support for LCPS, Loudoun County Public Schools leaders, follow-up meetings focused on critical race theory development, May 2020. Uh, so you guys are probably wondering when we're going to get to CRT, well, um, but how can parents fight this battle? 
Yeah, well, so I just want to I want to highlight going back to that story that just came out. Some of the things that that are associated with that that bill, um, and so you know, you had the Equity Collaborative come in, and they were talking about what's a culturally competent um, educator, right? So here's here's one line: um, culturally competent professionals accept responsibility for their own racism, sexism, heterosexism, etc., <laughs> and it attempts to deal with them in a non-defensive, guilt-free manner. They have begun the process of defining a new, non-oppressive and non-exploitive attitude. In terms of racism, for example, addressing one's whiteness, e.g. white privilege, is crucial for effective teaching. Now, that's just one highlight. I mean, it's all over these documents. They're like, well, I mean, it's a cigarette right now. I mean, <laughs> it's, the, it's the most infuriating thing. And this is in schools. I mean, it's. And if you live in this district that you think, oh, I'm in a Republican area, I'm in a rural area, it's there too. Like this is so broad. It is so endemic in our education system. And I think that this is the one area that school boards really can. Okay, so do you want us to explain what CRT, how it's practiced, Joe, or do you want to talk about how we can resist it? Both, because a lot of parents just woke up to what which it one, is which one first so tell us a little bit about what crt is because people don't recognize it and how it actually manifests in the schools and the way the educators are trained and how that manifests in the classroom okay so crt critical race theory is a theory that started in the 1960s and 70s by several different philosophers um, there's many tenets of it. There's been many people who have written about and who've thought about CRT. So there's no uh, one single person. I think Derek Bell is probably the founder of CRT, and they build their consensus off of many people like Foucault, and 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 uh, you can go, you can date all the way back to Marx and even before Marx. Um, but that, that that's what critical race theory is. Its main tenets are the belief that one. All white people in this country benefit from racism, regardless of your economic standpoint. Secondly, all non-white people experience racism on a daily basis, whether they can see it or not see it, they experience it on a daily basis. And thirdly, our institutions are built to perpetuate critical uh, to perpetuate racism, um, whether it be uh, judicial blindness, um, the idea that the court doesn't weigh something in—that is, that means you're that's racism. Um, uh, and every and every kind of action that results in colorblindness is actually just a form of white supremacy. So, perfect example, and this was in a book by Richard Delgado called Introduction to Critical Race Theory. The idea of um, Brown v. Board of Education was actually a racist act because desegregating the schools stopped post World War II blacks from violently rioting, rioting in white cities. Now, there was no documentation or evidence proving that they were going to riot or they were preparing a riot, but that is the thought process behind that. So if it's not implicitly anti-white, it is therefore racist. Um, that is the main tenets of critical race theory. How it is being practiced and infused is comes through several different forms, things like equity training, anti-racism training, um, uh, other programs that a lot of superintendents are imposing on, on, on teachers of how to teach children. And their main baselines are things like the idea that America is systemically racist, that um, uh, the idea of general of privilege, that whites have certain privileges that non-whites don't have. Uh, and it creates this, this perpetual basis in children's minds that uh, the country is inherently unfair um, because of the and it's it was not set up subtle. It's not subtle. They're, they're saying in well, the classroom to the white students, or for everyone to acknowledge. It starts off pretty subtly to younger children, but it yeah. is it does build its way through the years, and it basically says the only way to create a more equal society is to tear down things like judicial blindness, liberalism, small l liberalism, um, uh, capitalism, um, the constitution. All those things can be completely destroyed to create a more it's, – it's Marxism based on race instead of class. That's that's the very short end of the way about it. Ian, do you have anything else? That's, no, that's totally right. And, you know, I was doing an interview. Um, I, I love sort of the, the – on the on the left, the people that are, you know, pro-critical race theory. Like, ask them what critical race theory is. They can't define it. So somebody asked me that on an interview. I was like, well, I'll tell you how – I'll define it. The way the Equity Collaborative, which has been on contract with Loudoun County Public Schools for three years, and here's how they define it. They say Western liberalism, equal opportunity, and meritocracy perpetuate systemic racism. 
It's exactly. So, here we go. That's the definition. I'm going to yeah. use. They are against everything that is like the building block of this civilization. And it's truly anything that came out of uh, anything that came out of post Enlightenment Europe, individualism, anything that's all racist. And they want to destroy all of it. And it's really for a Marxist idea of how the world should run. And that's how they're infusing it. And they're smarter now than they were in the past. They're doing it to children at an early age to make them believe that this world um, is, 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 is constantly putting down non-whites to keep them perpetually, you know, indebted to whites. It's, it's insane. It's not real. It's not true. And, um, and unfortunately, um, you know, kids are being taught that the, that before the white man came to America, it was Pocahontas singing to train trees like it was a Woodstock <laughs> festival, and we destroyed everything. And that's and I I constantly reference to teachers and to um and to um and to school board members that what I my ideal form of history would be, and I really think I really believe this is that kids should really be taught um, more and less Westernized history, but understand also how terrible the world was for most of our history. You're very lucky born in the place you are born in now at this time. Um, and if you were born even a hundred years ago, how much harder life would be. And that is not by accident that life is so good right now. It took a lot of time and a lot of effort. And those, those, those institutions are easy to destroy and very difficult to build. I think that that's really how history should be taught overall in our schools. Yeah, and I'd add to that, too, because I've used this this analogy a little bit. You know, look, I love history, right? I was a history major in college. I went to law school because I knew being a history major wasn't really going to get me very far. Um, but I've, I've studied history of all different kinds of civilizations. And, and the issue here is, like, I think about how I learned about the Revolutionary War, right? When you're in, you know, second grades, Boston Tea Party, Paul Revere's Ride, Declaration of Independence, Yorktown, right? Very just simple facts. Then you get a little bit older, right? Maybe your fourth, fifth grade. Then you start to learn about, well, yeah, the French and Indian War. And then you have to get tax revenue. So that's why Great Britain was, was raising taxes on America. And you start to get a fuller picture. And then you get older, maybe late high school, maybe college. And you start talking about, well, the De Thomas Jefferson writes the Declaration of Independence with, with Sam Adams and, I mean, John Adams and Ben Franklin. And, you know, he said all men are created equal. Um, but they still had slavery, right? So you can get into a, a critical discussion of, okay, why did they do that? What were the what were the forces that um, that that created that that document where they didn't address slavery? Like Jefferson wanted to address slavery, and Franklin said, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, we're we're going to lose everybody, and it's going to be New England versus Great Britain. So maybe we hold off on that. Right now, is that right or wrong? Depends. I mean, you have to look at." Put yourself in that spot in that time and say, okay, what would you have done differently? And we actually did this exercise in a class um, in college when I was at Boston University. It was really tough to put yourself in that situation and find a solution without the benefit of, of 2020 hindsight. That's how you teach history, right? You teach history with facts, then you then you build it out a little bit more so you know a little bit more context, and then you create the critical thinking. How would you do things differently? What could you do differently? You don't start out by saying, okay, America, Declaration of Independence, it's all, it's all systemic racism. And everything, that's all you need to know. Because if you just blame it on these, on these concepts, then you're not gonna have, you're not gonna see the blind spots, right? You're not gonna say, all right, how do we not repeat these things? And you know, how do we understand the different forces at play so that when we come up with when something like this happens in modern times, we understand sort of at a three-dimensional level exactly what is going on. Not just blaming it on some theory that is that is you know put into our minds in, when we're in second grade. Yeah, I agree, and I think that I think when you're young, especially the you know memorizing the names of dead men and the dates they were alive in is really kind of boring. I think that for kids to really be inspired by history, we should teach the overarching theme and the overarching idea of greatness that we were we're American and we were born from greatness and. Um, you know, I am, even though I am white, I am Italian and Polish and Irish. I don't have any ancestry to the founding fathers. Nonetheless, those are my founding fathers, even though we are different. Uh, that is who I identify with. And whether it be George Washington or Frederick Douglass or 
uh, Neil Armstrong, we are all born of the same countrymen. And our goal is that we are not made from weak men. We are made from very strong stock. And our idea is to have an overarching idea towards greatness. You should aspire to be great. You should not aspire to be a victim. And I think that that is something that's really missing in the in, in how history is approached. Um, and and that's that's the detriment, really, is that if you only have to if you're bored one by history because you're all memorizing dates and names, um, and then you're not having any kind of overarching lessons or ideas. I think that that's really where the boredom comes in, and then you can just seep in. Oh no, you see, there's there's differences, so it's obvious that there's that those are endemic of racism. So fun story for you know, growing up, uh, my grandmother used to tell me that I was descended from George Washington. And of course, I believed that, not knowing at the time that George Washington didn't actually have any kids. <laughs> and, and then I went on Ancestry.com about 10 years ago, and I started looking things up. And my grandmother was from Nova Scotia. And what I found out was that I'm actually descended from a Hessian mercenary who was given land by the British crown in Canada for serving in, as, a, as a Hessian mercenary in the Revolutionary War. <laughs> That's wow. that all opposite that George hilarious. That's hilarious. So we're just over the 30-minute mark for anyone who is just coming in. Uh, We're talking with Ian Pryor of the – whoops, that's the wrong website. Well, we're also talking with Ryan James Gerdusky of the 1776 Project Pack. Uh, This is the website. Go and check it out. Get it open in your tabs at 1776projectpack.com. And we've also got – Ian Pryor, the executive director of Fight for Schools. Both of these packs are doing, uh, you know, there's some questions in the chat about what can you do. Uh, donating and volunteering with organizations like this is something you can do. Uh, so schools.com, um, that's going to be Ian's group. I do want to get to a couple of questions from the chat. And um, I should have said this earlier, guys, apologies. I'm going to try and catch some of them. But if you could type question or just like hit a couple of question marks before you type out your question, it really makes it easier to find in that chat. With that said, uh, Carl Pelton says, I hear all this about getting involved, but the left can be sneaky and manipulative when pushing their agenda. How do we combat this in ways other than the proverbial getting involved? I think understanding terminologies and how they use different words to try to manipulate the idea of CRT. So they use words like equity. Um, they use words like uh, anti-racism, things that seem very friendly and nice. And I think if you can understand really those hidden terminologies behind it, I think that makes you a lot easier to engage in conversations with you know, the average Joe who doesn't really know this. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think educating yourself... Um, you know, looking at like Glenn Lowry, right, or um, James Lindsay, or um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. Even a even a Chloe Valdari, right? You know, people that that will look at this, that will analyze it, and then sort of give you the information that you need, so that you're able to have those conversations in an intellectual way. Of course, now some people just you're never going to be able to have those conversations, right? You're just you know, you can you can say to someone, hey, you know, um, they're using critical race theory. And I said, well, I looked at the curriculum and they're not. Like, well, of course, they're not going to put it in the curriculum on the website, right? That would be great if they did. And we've actually called for that out here in Loudoun County. And I, I don't I don't see what the, the problem would be with putting all materials used for teacher trainings and in class online for every school, right? If you have nothing to hide, then be transparent. Um, so I think that there's there's ways to get involved, certainly supporting organizations like like ours um, that are out there on the front lines, taking the slings and arrows from, you know, the media matters of the world, and I guess soon to be the uh, NEA. Um, but, I, you know, I think really educating yourself on this and knowing where to look and, and t- talking to your school and, and saying, look, I'm going to opt out of this. You know, I do, I do not want my kid, you know, learning about this, certainly in first, second, third grade. I think it's a little bit less concerning at the upper levels of high school because people have started forming their, their character by then. And, you know, they're more, they're more apt to come home and say, Hey, mom, dad, listen to this crazy thing we learned in class. So you, you can get that communication and you can understand it. 
But a second grader or a first grader or a third grader, they're just going to take what is taught to them and assume it's right. And then, you know, I would say always talk to your kids no matter how old they are and tell them if you learn something at school that seems like it's conflicting with something we've talked about, let me know. And, you know, that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it was it's a good thing that I, I had that conversation because, you know, I was able to, to deal with it. But, you know, a lot of times people just don't don't have that conversation. So I would say let your kids know that they can talk to you about things that may be conflicting with with how you're raising them. Yeah, for sure. Uh Lunchbox asked, and you know, somebody wrote in the comments that there are a lot of people from locals. If you guys don't know what locals is, I think I have a banner for that. Yes, I do. Um, locals is like, it's a social media platform. It's the internet done right. It's built by Dave Rubin's team, uh, which just moved to Miami. So if you're looking for uh, decent tech work, then Miami's the spot. Uh, but locals, it's a social media platform for content creators, but also for content consumers where you create these communities um, and kind of post basically your own, your own little Twitter, uh, YouTube, yeah, whatever these apps are, your own version in locals. Uh, so anyway, yeah, there's, there's a lot of locals crowd here. So thank you guys for coming out and not sure lunchbox. If you're part of that crowd, this is, this seems like an unrelated question, but it kind of ties in. He says, while we're on history questions, what do you think about the causes of the civil war? Uh, and my note before I kick it off to you guys is not just the Civil War, but all history. It's really important that we, not just as conservatives, I don't even want the Joe Mobley show to just be a big echo chamber of conservatives, uh, but as Americans, as patriots, or as people that love this country to include immigrants that just come and visit, uh, or, you know, for some reason, like 60% of my listenership is California conservative. But then there's a bunch that live in Canada or across the pond. So those people as well, it's important to have a proper framing of history because revisionist history is real. 1984 Orwellian tactics are real. We see this memory hole crap. I talked about that last night on the show uh, that Dr. Robert Malone, the literal creator of mRNA technology, they're trying to erase him because a week and a half ago, uh, he said that he told some things about the vaccine that are coming out uh, as the creator he had warned, and, and now they're, they're trying to memory hole him. Um, so don't let people memory hole you with the Civil War. Don't let people tell you that the Republican Party, the conservatives of the day, uh, wanted to perpetuate slavery because that's not true, or that Abraham Lincoln was... I hear both. I hear that Abraham Lincoln was the champion of the Democratic Party and the Democratic movement. And I hear that Abraham Lincoln didn't give a crap about the slaves. Um, and I've literally heard this one from other black people that it was about oil. I think they're getting confused with Bush and Lincoln somehow. Uh, but anyway, kick the one of you guys, you know, do, any thoughts on the causes of the Civil War and Probably this this has some tie-ins with uh, CRT because yeah. they're not teaching true history. I mean, I think you can I think you can trace the the causes of the Civil War to ultimately the the battle between how Hamilton viewed what America was going to be and how Jefferson viewed what America was going to be, and that really carried over into you know the entire pre-Civil War era, right? Where Hamilton wanted a more capitalist society. Um, you know, obviously a northerner, they had, you know, uh, industry where in the south you get to a more an agrarian society. And you, you saw the, the you know, the, the push and the pull there in the, you know, the 1820 compromise, 1850 compromise. And, you know, ultimately that sort of led to what, you know, the, the first shots of the Civil War at Fort Sumter. But there was also, I think, a, a belief from, you know, a lot of people, you had the abolitionist movement that, that kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And Lincoln, you know, and, and I know he's a he's a liberal author, but I think one of the best chroniclers of history uh, is Gore Vidal with his his series. Right, he starts with Burr, then he goes to Lincoln, then he goes to 1876, and we think of Lincoln as this you know benevolent character. He's he's like Jesus, right? But actually, he was a very savvy politician, and you know he knew. I think he he evolved, right? He evolved with the times. So when he felt that he could 
you know, he could emancipate the slaves. He could pass the 13th Amendment. You know, he used all of his skills and, and political power to get that done. So I think it was a very evolved situation where you had these different kind of cross currents that ultimately led to the Civil War and then ultimately led to, you know, Lincoln saying, I mean, because if you go back to the Civil War, that we had all these generals from 1861 to, I guess, what was it, 1863 or 1864, that just weren't getting the job done. And I think once Lincoln realized that he had a general that could that could go toe-to-toe with Lee and actually defeat him in Grant, then he realized, hey, now I have the power to basically do exactly what I want. And as a result, you you know, you ended up winning the war and, and freeing slaves. Brian, you got any thoughts on that? That sounds good to me. You know, I have an 11th grade education, so that sounds good to me. Civil War, what I know about it, slavery, states' rights, and everything else in between, I haven't really read that much about. So Ian's definition is fantastic to me. <laughs> Lunchbox says Dems uh, founded the Klan. Come on, people. I find myself saying, come on and give me a break all the time uh, with some some other words. Uh, well, so we're... That's, so I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to Gore Vidal for a minute because the, the book he wrote after Lincoln was 1876, and it was all about the 1876 election, which ultimately went to the House of Representatives, and that's kind of where you know they threw it to I think it was Hayes, um, and part of the you know at least according to Vidal, part of the deal was we're going to end Reconstruction in the South, which you know ultimately we go back to and say mm, that probably was not the best idea because that, that set us back years um, and, and ultimately resulted in Jim Crow, Plessy versus Ferguson, you know, all the things that, that set the stage for, um, you know, the, the rollback of everything we had accomplished. And I say we, just being from New England, um, everything that the United States had accomplished in, in winning the Civil War and, you know, emancipating the slaves, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, et cetera. But I don't want to teach history, right? I don't want to teach <laughs> this is what happens when you have a history major uh, on, on the panel here. Um, so real quick, one more shameless plug, and then uh, we'll have final thoughts and ask you guys for some book recommendations. So, of course, I did uh, plug my website, but we'll throw that website up there. If you want to get some uncloseted conservative gear is what I call it then head over to thejoemobleyshow.com slash shop. This is for people that want to support the show beyond liking and subscribing. Guys, if you like and subscribe to the show, that is amazing. That's tremendous. That is uh, more support than I could hope for. Um, But I know that some of you like to wear your conservatism on your sleeves. Uh, So, I mean, I love wearing it like this. I wear this Joe Biden one-star review shirt all the time. I can just see the anger just wash over uh, all the libs' faces. It's awesome. Of course, I've got on my MAGA hat, too. You don't have to do all that. Uh, but anyway, let's let's bring it into the close. Hopefully, I hit the right button because I keep hitting the wrong one. Awesome. That's the right button. Um, if you've got chats, this is the last opportunity to get them in. You guys, what are some final words? And this is, this is the last question you can be thinking about. If you could get Everyone to read and understand one book, what would you pick and why? But before you give that book recommendation, uh, tell us some final words about what's going on in schools, what people can do, what people need to do now. Um, I would just sit there and say that get involved in your local school board election. Ten states have school board elections this year. Many more have them next year, so you have plenty of time. Some have statewide elections. It's very, very, very important. And um, if you want to donate or get involved in my campaign or just tell me about um, how what your school board is doing, I'd love to hear it, 1776projectpack.com. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you know, I would echo that. You know, pay attention to your school board uh, elections. If if they're up this year, um, get involved, try and support candidates, try and recruit candidates. If it's not this year, then you have more time. Um, but really, you know, start start paying attention at the local level. As far as books, you know, I, I referenced Gore Vidal's series. I would say that is is such an important understanding of. American history, you know, really, it's, it's historical fiction 
Um, so it does a good job of telling a story. I would also say, too, I watched this, um, you know, speaking of the Civil War, the great, um, I think it's History Plus, a great documentary on Grant, which, I, I mean, you really have to watch. You know, everyone talks about, you know, Robert E. Lee was this great general, and certainly he won some some battles and he had some good strategies. But the, the course of the Civil War changed when Grant came east. And he was so relentless in, in chasing down Lee that I don't think, you know, because of his, his tenure as president, which kind of gave him a little bit of a black mark um, as far as his, his, you know, historical legacy, I don't think Grant gets enough appreciation. And so I, I would also recommend reading the Ron Chernow Grant book. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on to the show, for answering uh, my questions, for answering some of the uh, questions in the comments. Um, just like Ryan said, guys, the websites, I'll flash those websites for you one more time. The websites are the 17, or just 1776projectpack.com. Uh, go check it out. Get on their email list and, and support them any way that you can. Uh, and of course, the other site is fightforschools.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, fightforschools.com. Two awesome packs, two awesome organizations. And here we have two awesome guys that are uh, the men in the arena doing the work that we need. You guys need to do something too. Right where you are, you can be the Ian Pryor, you can be the Ryan Graduski. You can be whoever your champion is in your local community. So do it now. Do it today. Start by signing up um, for both of these guys' email list. Donate if you can afford to. Um, and if you want to get some uncloseted conservative gear, you've already heard a couple of times where you can do that. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys have a good 4th of July weekend. And, and fly those flags, which apparently pisses people off. Uh, but fly those flags. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.